0: Hey team, Mickey here. You're listening to the 100th episode of Wikipedia. Can you even believe it? It has almost been two years. Wow, I am absolutely stoked and cannot believe that I've had the opportunity to speak to some amazing people over the last 100 episodes and continue to be excited by the guests that I can bring on to Wikipedia. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're new to Wikipedia, how amazing you have 100 episodes as a sort of back catalogue to go and listen to. I always appreciate your feedback and feel very privileged that you choose to listen to us each week and that you recommend us to your friends. It means the absolute world to me. So thank you so much for being here on the 100th show. Now, this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Eric Westman. He is one of the modern-day pioneers in the low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet space. So we talk about Eric's introduction into the ketogenic diet via the Atkins approach, actually, that some of his patients followed, and this subsequently led to his researching and clinical trials in the ketogenic diet, and publishing several trials showing its efficacy for obesity, type 2 diabetes, GERD, polycystic ovary syndrome, and more. And not only in that sort of scientific literature space, but also out in popular culture as well, where... Dr. Westman, in addition to being featured in many magazines, so really popularizing the low-carbohydrate space, he also co-authored the more recent edition of the Atkins diet, New Atkins, New You, with Drs. Jeff Follick and Stephen Finney. So we talk all about this and also some of the areas where people can go wrong on a keto diet. And We discussed Dr. Westman's online platform, Adapt Your Life Academy, where he and his colleagues provide information and education to help people at the grassroots level to change their diet and improve their health outcomes. So those of you who are unfamiliar with Dr. Westman, he is, as I said, the co-founder of Adapt Your Life and Adapt Your Life Academy. He's an Associate Professor of Medicine at Duke University Health System and Director of the Duke Keto Medicine Clinic in Durham, North Carolina. He is past president of Obesity Medicine Association and a Fellow of the Obesity Society. In 2010, he was named the Obesity Medicine Association's Bariatrician of the Year for his work in advancing the field of obesity medicine as well as the society. He graduated from Stanford University, University of Wisconsin, University of Kentucky, and Duke University. He's a board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine and has a master's degree in clinical research with over 90 peer-reviewed publications to his name. Now, before we crack into the show, if you are listening to this and it's not yet October, you still have a chance to go into win Newzest's 12-week Spring Reset Pack worth $3,500. All you need to do is head over to newzest www.newzest.co.nz and order whichever products you like. Enter the code mickey 20 That M-I-K-K-I 2 for 20% off your order plus an entry to win this amazing giveaway, which is a Homedics massage gun, a Garmin Fenix 6S Pro sports watch, a three-month supply of Zest products, 12-week nutrition coaching program online with me, two online personal training sessions with Darren Ellis, former guest of the show, a Pro 1000 Nutribullet blender, and a $500 Lululemon voucher. Amazing. So, all you need to do before it hits October is to head over to newsest.co.nz and purchase your favourite products. Mine is, of course, Good Green Vitality. Alright team, I hope you enjoy this 100th episode of Wikipedia with Dr. Eric Westman. Eric Thank you so much for taking uh, the time to chat to me this morning. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you, obviously, about the low-carbohydrate nutrition space, how it has changed over the years, um, and also about your online resources that have helped people who don't have the ability to see someone like you in person, how it's helped them sort of change what they do. I understand that you trained under one of the sort of more modern pioneers of low carb, Dr. Atkins. Can you describe your introduction to low carb for our audience and and how you ended up sort of under his mentorship, if you like?
1: Sure, well, so like most doctors, I didn't get much training in nutrition or or even weight loss, how to help people lose weight. And this was back in, gosh, 1998. So I was um, you know, eight years into an academic role at Duke University and doing clinical trials in smoking cessation. I learned how to do clinical trials that would be uh, led toward FDA approval. Of the nicotine patch and other nicotine products, for example. Uh, but we were required to be in the clinic also taking care of patients at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in my program. And so two of my patients came in actually having lost over 50 pounds on their own without me doing anything. And I was very curious. I, I thought, what did you do? And they told me that one fellow said, uh, all I did is eat steak and eggs, and he kind of looked me in the eye, and, and I was kind of shocked. He was, did it for shock value. and But really, it, what they were doing was the Atkins diet at the time, and he mentioned that, and I said, well, what's that? Because I didn't know what it was. We got very little training. I'm, I'm an internal medicine-trained doctor, so it's not like I'm a, a specialist of uh, great you know, a detailed micro specialist. I should know about these things, but I didn't know. And so I went to the bookstore and looked at the books that were out there, and Atkins was one of them. And you know, he was the only one that had a clinic. All of these other diet books um, were written by people who weren't doctors, or or if they were doctors, they were sort of like um, celebrities, doctors. They weren't actually clinical doctors. So I wrote Dr. Atkins a letter and, uh, you know, by this time, I, I kind of forgotten about it. And he calls back and asks, yes, I got your letter. What do you want? And I said, well, this is interesting. I, I never got trained in what you do. Where, where's the research for what you do? And he, laughed. he laughed and said, why would I want to do research? I, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what the research will find, you know, so from his perspective, Research is something that you do before you do something clinically, you know, to test it out to see if it's safe and all that. And, and yet no one had done the randomized controlled trials, the due diligence of the research uh, in this area. So one thing led to another, and he said, well, why don't you come up to my clinical practice in New York City? So I went and visited his office. Remember, he was one of the only doctors who actually had an office that you could visit. And so um, I actually went up and said, what do you do? Sat in the office of, of Dr. Atkins and Jackie Aberstein, a nurse yes. who worked with them for, for 30 years. And, and I, you know, I wasn't persuaded by one visit. I said, well, why don't you fund me to do some research? And I had a brief proposal with me, and I said, here, we'll put 50 people on your diet, however you want to do it, and we'll study it down at Duke and at the VA in Durham. And so he said, okay. And we started the first study uh, in modern history of the low-carb Atkins diet uh, that that gave it a fair shake. By this time, we had done some research research looking at what had been done before, you know, what was the literature review? And there was very little. In in fact, the the one study that was the one that kind of told everyone not to do low-carb diets had 24 people in it. Oh, wow. And it wasn't a randomized trial. Yeah. And it was basically done to show that it was bad. And so we were, at this time, kind of shocked that (laughs) it had such a bad image I thought for sure we would find all these studies that said it was bad and there weren't any.
0: Yeah. So Eric, the, the, the way the original study, that 24 person study was set up, did you immediately recognize some of the limitations of that trial as oh, you absolutely. were designing? Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So I went through clinical research training and evidence-based medicine training, uh, spent a summer uh, a month at McMaster in Ontario. And in my practice, my general internal medicine practice at duke we were very well versed in how to critique clinical trials how to actually design and run them as well and that paper in 1980 so it was 18 years before had 24 people and actually everyone lost weight in the study but what was the kind of death knell of or the nail in the coffin as they say for the low carb, high fat diet, was that the LDL went up a little bit and the triglyceride went down. And you know, but by modern modern standards today, I value the triglyceride in the blood more than the LDL in the blood. But not everyone does. But but so anyway, we embarked on uh, and Jeff Volick at the about the same time. He's a not an MD, but he's a PhD researcher. We both approached Dr. Atkins about the same time. And started doing research, and that now you know is over twenty years ago. And we not we didn't stop with just one study. The next one we did was a randomized control trial. It actually, was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, which is in a you know maybe second, third tier journal in in internal medicine. So it's very high, highly regarded. And um, then other people started to do studies. And what was remarkable is that these other researchers who were all very well familiar with the low-fat diet, which was the mm-hmm. diet that everyone was doing, they never asked anyone how to do a low-carb diet. So they read the books. They 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 didn't ever ask a doctor how to do it. And so the studies came out, they were kind of lukewarm, but they still were better than the low-fat diet. So there you know, ended up being about five or six randomized trials of low-carb versus low-fat and low-carb won just about every time. And, and, the, and the truly remarkable thing is because these investigators wanted to show the low-carb diet was bad, they never did the second study because they didn't find what they wanted to find. They wanted to find that the low-carb diet was bad, and they didn't find it, so they didn't study it anymore. It really was remarkable in in that even one of the lead authors went on to do many, many other research studies, but it was never really uh, learned from someone who understood the clinical practice or even the science of low-carb keto diets. So we're in that strange position today of clinical doctors knowing a lot more and getting that are very much further advanced than what's published in the research. Yeah. Because the researchers never really um, took the time to learn about the approach in great detail. And then our research money kind of dried up. Uh, everyone's trying to look for the mechanism or the new drug or, you know, and, um, uh, but we opened a clinical practice at Duke University in the private practice of the university setting, uh, insurance pay and Medicare Medicaid, using this approach in the year 2006. So we've been using this approach that we studied and published papers on and still publish papers on now for over 16 years.
0: And so you, you're you able to use the results from your clinical practice to inf- to. Uh, publish on and put that information out
1: there then currently um i i don't have a big research arm of our clinical program though and so we uh summarize information best as we can uh and there's a young professor now at duke who wants to pick up the 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 ball if you will and carry it downfield and um but it's very difficult to get research funding in this area even even if you were doing diet approaches that are more mainstream, uh, it's, it's a difficult road. And and if you, you know the old publisher perish, if you don't get research money very quickly in academia, you're you're either finding something else to study, or you're out.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. And I can imagine along the way, Dr. Atkins would have been completely unsurprised by the results of your initial trials, because of course he'd been doing it in practice for, as you say, you know, 30 years. How were, how were your colleagues, (laughs) Eric, like as you were, you know, embarking on this sort of new um, line of research and were they convinced after you started publishing trials?
1: Uh, Well, some were, some weren't. Uh, So you have to understand that that, researchers are an interesting lot of, of, of people. <laughs> Some are just always skeptical and never, never think there's ever an answer, uh, you know, almost nihilistic. Some even after we did the first, well, the first response was, why are you going to visit a diet doctor who wrote books and clearly just wrote a book to get rich on? You know, the motivation is money, right? Well, I went and I saw the clinical practice and no, that wasn't the real story. The real story is that Dr. Atkins had a voracious appetite and fixed himself with this dietary approach that he read about in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So he actually thought he was following published research, and then the whole field goes anti-fat, and he finds himself out on the uh, uh, high-fat outside the mainstream. Um, But uh, when I went to visit, it, it was clear that he didn't do this just to get rich. He he did think eventually get rich by most people's standards, uh, although not compared to, you know, CEOs or, or, you know, cardiothoracic surgeons or, you know, there's a way to, uh, uh, it's almost like there are acceptable ways to make money within the medical world and they're non acceptable ways. Uh, and uh, writing diet books, at least at the time, wasn't acceptable uh, but he was really a doctor, and I, visiting the practice, I got excited to research it. And then I thought, well, we'll do a few studies, and it's over. I mean, we'll, we'll have fixed obesity, we'll have fixed diabetes. Yeah, 20, 20, me naively, 20 years ago. Because uh, remember, two of my patients did this on their own without me. That, that's how I learned about it. Yeah. Is yeah. Is that they did. So I thought a few studies showing that it's fine, and then everyone will be doing this, and you know, overnight we'll have fixed all of obesity and diabetes, and that's not what happened. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> of course. No, of course. Um, but of course, you, along with um, Jeff Follic and Finney, did you update exactly. the Atkins yeah. diet? Is that is that correct? And you've you've now published a much more sort of modern approach. I'm saying modern. I don't know that that's the correct term, but you've you've republished it and the information is out there in mainstream a whole lot more now than what it ever was, say, 20 years ago, which, you know. Definitely, yeah.
1: definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there actually is a meeting now in its fifth year, fifth annual meeting of metabolic uh, practice, um, practices, Metabolic Health Summit, which includes a keto diet and it's getting researched not only for obesity, and diabetes, which is what we've studied, but it's being studied for many other conditions. Uh, and yeah, along the way, uh, Steve Finney was one of my teachers. He kind of took me aside and and explained how things worked uh, mechanistically and metabolically. And uh, Jeff Wolek, we've done a few papers together, but I'll, most of, just about all of our research has been done independently, which I think has been helpful because if you only have a, one group publishing things and you don't trust that group, it's always good to have a, a corroborating um, group that gets very similar findings. Um, and then, you know, as an internist myself, I started using the approach for other diseases that uh, that actually Dr. Atkins had history of using. It. And these are diseases that are caused or, or heavily influenced by insulin resistance. So I started Applying the low carb, keto, low fat, excuse me, high fat uh, diets to things like polycystic ovary yeah. syndrome uh, and things like metabolic syndrome, which is the uh, high triglyceride in the blood, low HDL, uh, fatty liver, for example. Um, heart failure, interestingly, is uh, caused by insulin resistance, and we can actually reverse heart failure as well. So it's been fascinating what was once kind of vilified as something that would be bad for all these things is actually therapeutic and and i think a, a preventative way of eating as well and that hasn't even been uh started the research using this to prevent disease hasn't even been envisioned yet and that that's where the real power is to to get people to re- limit their carbohydrates if they're you know sensitive to them, very early on before they develop any of these problems.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting. At the Metabolic Health Summit, uh, there was a, I believe Don talked about the use of a ketogenic diet for uh, COPD, um, which was something which I hadn't um, sort of thought about before. And then also I've seen you've published also on GERD, which, again, isn't something that people immediately think of as a treatment for some sort of like acid reflux problem.
1: Right. The acid reflux or GERD or, or heartburn, yeah. if you will, all refer to generally the same thing. And that is one of the strongest signals that we see clinically with very little published data. I mean, we did a study with I think it was five people and they all got better uh, they were pH probes placed inside the stomachs and the acid went down. So the, the improvement actually occurred by just by changing the carbs. It didn't have anything to do with the spicy food, the, the coffee, the chocolate. The, the things that are traditionally thought of as things that cause heartburn it, are not relevant if you cut carbs down. So it's really the carbs that cause these GI problems like heartburn, irritable bowel syndrome, which is kind of alternating diarrhea, constipation, and, and crampiness in the stomach. And, you know, of all of the fields that really should know about nutrition, you would think the gastroenterologists, these are the specialists in the stomach, in the intestines. Um, uh, they are specialists of internal medicine who then go into gastroenterology. They really don't know much about food. And you would think they would be the ones who would really know right
0: yeah, completely, and like did you, with regards to um what's actually going on with that Eric, like what is the mechanism Are we do we know what's actually going on and what's creating the the different sort of environment
1: well and thats so that's the kicker if you're if you're only motivated to know the mechanism, we don't know yeah and yeah, it yeah, may yeah. it may be that it's multifactorial which makes it even harder to get a grant to study because they're trying to get you to isolate out one factor. Yes. Uh, it may be that it has something to do with the gut microbiome. The the fact that the carbs get um, digested and, and the bacteria multiply, they may be sending back uh, signals that actually make the lower esophageal sphincter relax, meaning that the acidity goes up into the esophagus a little bit and and um, in fact, there's a discussion uh, paragraph in our paper from you know a decade ago that talks the, about maybe it's the microbiome. Um, it maybe the simple sugars are stopped. Uh, it may be that it's the gluten is gone. Uh, so the the type of approach I use actually builds upon studies and research of different areas that and it adds them all together, so what I teach is low gluten it's a gluten free diet it's a FODMAP free diet, which is the sugar, simple sugars um It's an elimination diet with without a lot of the artificial uh, additives for preservatives and artificial dyes, and if you're sensitive to those things and it turns out i think um people who suffer from migraine headaches are particularly sensitive to an array of things, including the blood sugars going up and down and all these other additives. And there's a strong signal in the clinic without much published data yet about migraine headaches going away yeah. when you follow this program.
0: Yeah, so interesting. And I think that you raise a really important point in that so often people want to understand actually what's going on. But if you actually step up, step back and look at the Big picture of people actually getting better then isn't that probably like that's the most important sort of element and and we often try to isolate or reduce down to the one simple thing that's gonna fix it where as you've said you know it could be a multiple multiple things eric when you talk about sort of low carb nutrition and um, helping uh, conditions like this like what is low carb what, what's your sort of definition and and what type of diet approach would you use because They vary depending on who you talk to.
1: Right. Well, we try to make things simple. Um, And our definition of low carb, going back to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, 2007, I'm the first author of a paper of many people in this field. And something around under 150 total grams of carbs a day is called a low carb diet. And then under 50 grams of carbs, total carbs a day is a very low carbohydrate diet, but not necessarily ketogenic. And then when you get under 20 total grams of carbs per day, that's where you are pretty sure that people are in ketosis or meaning that it's a ketogenic low carb diet. And the protein and fat ratios and all that is less important when it comes to you know, ketosis ketosis. For obesity treatment and diabetes reversal, if you're doing this for ketone generation and trying to make sure you have ketones all day long, then you want to get, you want to pay attention to the macros a little bit more detail. In our approach, we don't worry much if you're eating uh, until you're comfortably full of meat, uh, meaning you know red meat or pork, or uh, uh, and then chicken and. Fish and shellfish and eggs. If that's your source of food, your macros are going to come out right. We don't ask people to measure uh, macros. So really, we define a low carb diet by the number of total grams of carbs for the day, not not per meal, <laughs> but for the total day.
0: And why should people focus on total carbs and not necessarily net carbohydrate amounts, in your opinion? Because I see people struggle with this a little bit too.
1: Yeah, so net carbs is a construct or an idea that just means more carbs. Uh, it means you're deducting the fiber and sugar alcohols that don't impact the sugar as much or the insulin as much as the other types of carbs. But if you're really wanting a prescription strength, something that really you know, reverses diabetes and works for, for you know hundreds of pounds of weight loss, this is what i teach and this is what the clinic i'm in um then you want to use something that's stronger meaning lower in carbs net carbs uh also allows the companies to get into the game and they're making products that are higher in total carbs but they say net carbs and so you can be confused if you don't get the advanced training on uh what uh, you know total carbs versus net carbs that difference and um not that net carb uh, counting can't work. It can work. But it's kind of like a over-the-counter medicine. Over-the-counter medicines can work if you have a mild headache or mild joint pain. But if you want a prescription strength type of program, then you want to use the lower total carb. And uh, that's going to be a stronger version of a low-carb diet.
0: Mm. And, you know, Eric, you must have seen like thousands or have, um, you know, thousands of case studies or reported back to you of people who've really succeeded with a ketogenic or a low-carbohydrate approach. Yet, if you look out there on, you know, the best and worst diet report that comes out every year, is it US Weekly? I don't know, something like that. Um, And then also in the literature, they talk about that, you know it's difficult to adhere to a ketogenic diet, and that's often the message that is sort of placed. That yeah, keto might be fine, but it's so difficult. People just can't adhere to it. Like, do you have anything that you that you respond to when you hear that criticism?
1: Well, there are a couple couple things you mentioned. The um, ability to stick to something is an individual thing. And uh, my approach is to keep things as simple as possible. If you want to make a program that is easy so that when life gets difficult, you don't just throw it out the window. (laughs) So we have a simple method of teaching it. Um, And, uh, you know, there's some people that would rather just, suffer the consequences of eating fruit all day long than to cut out eating fruit. But then there are also people who are addicted to eating fruit and can't come to grips with that. So they're really not in control of of what they're doing, but they think they are. Anyway, yeah. The, yeah. Other, the other thing about other expert recommendations is we're at that point where you ask a panel of judges uh, who are not familiar with keto diets, they're going to say don't do them. So, what's happening there, it would be like asking the uh, Olympic Committee if all the judges were from New Zealand, you know, who wins the Olympic? Uh, the <laughs> well, the New Zealander, of course. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No, it Or the American. They're all European. So, But what's changing, and this year, uh, several keto-friendly doctors have been asked to be on some of the panels, or at least one of them, uh, to be kind of on the jury uh, being judges. And, and so I think you'll see that the keto diet is more favorably regarded by this new panel of judges who are, are less biased in one one direction.
0: That's brilliant because if I see another diet – uh, uh, a countdown or a list that has like exact like Weight Watchers, The Dash, you know, and these other st- and other really random ones up above something which I find so helpful in clinic. It's just mind boggling. Yeah. Um, Eric, I do remember you on a, it might have been on a podcast, you had such a good explanation for why in the literature we may see differences when we look at uh weight loss and the low-fat versus a low-carbohydrate approach uh, right at the sort of um, conclusion of the diet. Yet six months on, there doesn't appear to be that much difference. And you talk about how you know, doctors aren't health coaches.
1: Yeah, well, the, so there's several reasons. You know, When we were starting our research over 20 years ago, we went and visited Dr. Atkins. We went to visit Dr. Uh, Rosedale. I went to visit Dr. Bernstein, who uses low-carb for type 1 diabetes. And so we learned a method that um, had been used over and over and over in clinical practice and brought it back to the research table. And we knew that the 20 total grams was going to be more effective. So if you look at all of the studies that were done, we used the lowest 20 total grams, and then we kept people at the 20 grams all the way through to the end of the study. When you look at the other researchers, they read the books, and the books said, "Go to twenty grams for two weeks yes. and add back carbs and then so what they did is they basically added back carbs too soon from what the clinical doctors did because they didn't visit the clinical doctors. So what we came up with in the the research looking back is that there were a, f- a few papers that really kept people on the high dose high strength for six months. Or a year, but most of the studies were basically letting people eat carbs, and even one very recently uh, let people go up to as many carbs as they wanted within the six month period, even though they were still quote on a low-carb diet. So what I've learned in clinical practice, and I'm past president of the largest group of obesity medicine doctors in the world, I've taught this at medical meetings to other doctors, is that you keep people on that prescription-strength, low-carb diet under medical supervision as long as they need it and until people reach their goal. And, And I say medical supervision because most people come to me on medicines now, and I get to take off the medicine and sometimes if you're they're not aware that the medicine can cause side effects they think it's the diet that's causing the the side effect like feeling weak or dizzy when really it was the blood pressure medicine becoming too strong so I always in a clinical setting I'll always have that caveat uh, or the warning that you know you want to be followed by a doctor it's prescription strength the what I use now if you don't have any health problems and i think this is healthy eating for anyone you you don't ever really have to eat carbs and you know just as a point of of science uh, i had to convince myself scientifically and medically that it would be safe to feed people without carbohydrate and it turns out it's very strong in the scientific literature that humans do not have to eat carbohydrate You know, they want to or like to is a different issue. But uh, even there are these reality shows where people go for one or two months without eating hardly anything. And these people are in massive ketosis, even though you may not actually, they may not measure it. But you can see they're not eating carbs. I mean, in many cases, they're not eating anything. And then, so that's the other kind of aha, hit me in the head kind of moment was, when we don't eat anything we default to a fat metabolism with nutritional ketosis yeah that's our default yeah. kind of of fuel system and source we store fat as energy we draw upon the fat and make ketones and so how is that bad you know it's our it's like our our natural fail safe system how could that be bad well you know it could be and that's why we do research and and follow people but it makes me less worried than telling someone they can eat all the sugar they want, which has been totally unstudied in a, in a way that really puts the um, sugar on the, uh, you know, on the hot seat. Yeah. It, it, there have, just haven't been good studies. And finally, the uh, Stanton glands at the University of San Francisco unearthed some of the whistleblowing papers that basically sugar paid off the researchers to study fat and not sugar, sugar at the sugar industry, basically, and, and employ kind of like the tobacco industry to distract the other researchers. Uh, so I can't show you a paper that says sugar is the cause of diabetes, but I can show you that by taking away all the carbs, I can reverse diabetes. So it, it, uh, it, um, it's very likely it's one of the... Culprit.
0: Yeah. And people are super uncomfortable with that notion. And it's like um, uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that people could be addicted to fruit, for example. And, you know, we are continually told that, you know, one of the, the most strongest public health messages, at least here in New Zealand, is to eat your five plus a day, you know, and fruit is not an issue. And of course, if you are metabolically healthy, then fruit is not an issue. However, You know, in the US, we don't have stats like this in New Zealand because they don't uh, put money into investigating this. But as I understand it, 93 percent of the US are now sort of deemed metabolically unhealthy. So to say that fruit is, quote unquote, healthy is almost, um, you know, that's a very unhelpful message from most of the population.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And the... um Confusion arises from there are some people that can eat fruit and do fine. Yeah, yeah. So it's context. It's the, the the selection bias of the people, and from the clinical perspective of a doctor like me, we just it's carbs, carbs, carbs are the problem. You cut back carbs, it can actually be really easy to get rid of cravings and hunger. Uh, but you have to be very strict about el- eliminating all of them. And I want to just look back to that's probably the most common reason people find this difficult, is that they don't go all in, they don't, they're not really, really super strict. So it'd be kind of like trying to quit smoking when you had a cigarette or two every day. It's really hard. In fact, it, it won't work yeah. for most people.
0: Yeah. And in your experience, because you did, I, I actually did want to ask you about that is that you do need to have a set period of time without the carbohydrate to almost break that cycle of, of is, is addiction the right word to use, dependence, or, you know, what is it that, you know, but you do need that sort of period of time. Like three weeks isn't yeah. enough. Well,
1: I think there is a sugar addiction. I think there is. Uh, you don't have to eat sugar, and uh, you know um, some people say, "Oh, well, it's not addiction because it's food," but at the the degree to which it affects people it varies. So there's a spectrum of, and some people are not pulled towards sugar at all and can stop at one candy bar. Others can't stop. Um, yeah. So there are a couple. Uh, well, one textbook on food. Uh, addiction, a processed process addiction, and then a very interesting book and podcast called "Food Junkies," which takes the theme and and of addiction for food and sugar and applies behavioral methods to helping people deal with that sugar addiction. Uh, but to become a fat burner to get into ketosis, yes, you have to be very very strict. Uh, and uh, there was only one study with a gradual reduction of the carbs and it wasn't compared to the total cessation of carbs. The method I was taught was the total cessation. And, uh, so I, in some people, it might make sense to taper the carbs, others to go full, uh, like a cold Turkey sort of quit smoking day, a quit carb day. Um, I haven't seen that studied head to head, but, um, the approach I use is more uh, the addiction quit smoking, go over through a withdrawal syndrome and and it's actually not as bad uh, the the fear of cutting out the fruit is worth, worse than the actual cutting out of the fruit and people will come back to me with the the you know the metaphor of the tail between the legs yeah yeah sort of em- embarrassed that they were so you know worried about it and then it was just so, so easy of course I have a very Short memory for that sort of thing, um because so many people you know my fruit, my bread how will i how will I be able to do this and and then they're just fine,
0: yeah, and Eric, in your clinical experience, like is it necessary for most people if they have a health condition which requires low carbohydrate? Do they need to stay as low as what you initially prescribe? and obviously we talked about a you know a length of time with which they stay low but what is the trajectory for for most people if there is such a sort of if you can generalize
1: yeah well so it depends the severity of the metabolic problems that people have if you're um uh, you only have 20 pounds to lose and and you're just doing it for weight loss, you're probably going to uh, be able to get to your goal in a couple of months, uh, three months, and then you can gradually add back carbs. Of course, if you add back carbs to the degree that you were eating before, and you can't control it, you're just going to regain the weight. And that is the kind of uh, funny thing that people say is, oh, I did that low-carb diet and, and then I gained all the weight back, and then yeah. I'll say, well, but stop doing it, right? Well, yes, you know, well, people don't blame a pill for not working if you don't take the pill, but people will blame a diet for not working because they can't stay on it, right? <laughs> but today, you know, in, in 2022, the resources uh, online and, and at the, the grocery stores and the, the the it's just so supportive now uh, in, well, in many places of doing a diet like this, it's never been easier that I've seen to do a low-carb diet but you know you don't have to stay super strict all your life uh, you know it's not like we're going to lock you up in a prison uh, with, you know all you can use is low carb foods and then then we start drawing upon your money out of the bank account <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like a cult yeah <laughs> it's a method a method to get you to a goal and then you can do whatever you want
0: yeah yeah and eric like in your experience now sort of you know 20 years on, or even 30 years on, if I'm thinking about the timeline, like how open are doctors uh, to the idea of a low carb approach for their patients?
1: Yeah, you know, I've never seen a formal survey of that. That would be a great thing to do Um, informally. uh, You know, there are many, many keto friendly doctors now, call that a, a term, keto friendly. And there are many who are not keto friendly. Uh, but I, I think um, the persuasion, um, uh, a lot of doctors come to this because, like Dr. Atkins, they solve their own metabolic problem by doing a low-carb keto diet. So I'm watching new doctors come to this, having found it themselves, and then start using it for their patients. Um, uh, I think the the last kind of sticking point is the time-honored story we've all been told that cholesterol is bad and fat in the food leads to cholesterol and that causes hardening of the arteries. And that's kind of like the last... Pre- prejudging the last prejudice of the low carb diet that needs to fall, and um, it 's going to be a tough battle to to even when we show data of people with extremely high ldL levels doing fine for years. It gets dismissed as well you know and then we're uh, in this particular instance we 're battling the drug company. Uh, treatment of cholesterol which is a very lucrative uh, field to be in and and they can market their their drugs and all all we say is you know this is a a lifestyle change and actually lifestyle changes is is on these guidelines for cholesterol treatment it's just a lot of doctors don't think their patients will do it or will change but um the uh idea that um you have to have carbs i think is has been dispelled i think most doctors know that uh and uh a growing number are more familiar and even advise it uh and but i don't know the exact percentage i i think it's probably still pretty low uh, of course uh, remember doctors in general get very little training in nutrition which means it's hard to then teach based on a set of a foundation of knowledge so you know if we if we knew that doctors have been taught that there's no essential carbohydrate, you don't have to eat carbs, you need amino acids, you need fats, you build a, a, a sound nutritional program by starting with fatty acids and amino acids, and carbs are are fine if you can tolerate them, that would be the proper teaching that then it would make more sense to doctors and nutrition and, uh, and dietitians. But since they really had no foundational uh, science or biology, they're just kind of flapping in the breeze of, oh, the Mediterranean diet. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. And it's interesting, Eric, because I I um, have done a bit of teaching and I stand there and I talk to them the way that you're just talking, you know, about the actual fundamentals of diet. Yet when I get the assignments back, because they have other resources that they go to, it always comes back to carbs are king. So it's that... That real message is like, it, it's a little bit like smoking, isn't it? It's going to take several decades, I think, to sort of unravel what's gone on before. And you raise an interesting point that doctors are doctors know what they know and what they've been taught. And with regards to cholesterol, they're taught to focus on LDL, whereas you, as you mentioned earlier, the triglycerides is a much, potentially a much more helpful marker with regards to overall disease risk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the the idea that LDL cholesterol is good for you fighting infection. I mean, that so, so someone needs to be out there supporting LDL. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Being, being the detail marketing person to show how great LDL is, because it's actually doing all these wonderful transporting, transporting the fat soluble vitamins and it's helping to sequester bacteria, you know, and, and yet most, Medically trained people and dieticians, even well, cholesterol LDL, that's that's what causes heart disease. Yeah, yeah. As, as if gone, or evolution put it in there just to cause heart disease. Yeah, I know. I know. it has all of these other other functions that you know. Honestly, I wasn't taught. I had to go relearn myself and actually write a class about it to kind of have the um, the discipline to really uh, you know put my name on something and, and to. Uh, feel comfortable and and actually uh, to block the cholesterol production in the body is fraught with a lot of theoretical and and practical problems Mm. because we need cholesterol so much.
0: Yeah, no, completely. And, you know, Eric, I've seen your name on papers around – the um, energy balance model of obesity versus the carbohydrate and insulin model of obesity and most recently it seemed like a convergence of all of the authors on a paper um, that sort of described where the commonalities lie like is are you able to for us to sort of briefly describe the differences is it actually academic like it probably isn't. It's obviously more than that. But is it important to really understand fundamentally? Yes, it's the energy balance. Yes, it's carbohydrate or insulin. Like, what is the state of that sort of science?
1: Yeah. So, what we noticed there's a Harvard professor, that's David Ludwig, who is a great. Um, conciliator, a a compromiser. And so his idea was to bring in the the camps of the the calories in, calories out. We know what causes obesity. And then the, the clinical obvious reduction of carbohydrates leads to reduction of obesity. But at the end of the day, I think both are right. And, you know, like most things, uh, there are shades of gray and nuances. I mean, so if you go onto a reality show and you don't eat anything, so it's no calories at all, you're going to lose weight to drop on your fat store. But it's also zero carbs, right? So is it zero carb or is it zero calorie? It really doesn't matter. So the... The uh, people who were grandstanding about calories, it's just calories, we know the result. It was actually Gary Taubes, an investigative journalist, who said something that really hit home to me. He, he t- uh, talked about the situation of, um, of asking a friend, you know, why is that restaurant crowded? And the friend says, well, more more people went in than came out. Mm. And, and you look at your friend and you go, no, 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 I, I know of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but why... Crowded, You know, well, more people went in than then came out and and you keep going like, well, but, but is it good food? Is it, is it, you know, the, the service? Is it, is it good drinks? Is, you know, is it a handsome staff, you know? And, and, and no, it's just, it's crowded because more people went in than came out. And then I went to my next meeting when someone went up there and said, it's calories in calories out. And I, this like the, 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 uh, It just opened my eyes. Were open, the scales fell because they were saying what's called a tautology. Yeah, meaning of course it's true that when you gain weight, more calories have gone in than come out. It doesn't tell you why. So actually, in this paper that David Ludwig was first author on and got us to help and, and sign on to, he talks about the tautology of energy balance. Meaning, this is really you know he didn't say it in in an academic journal saying that this is kind of ridiculous, guys. You, you, you're really just saying the truth that there's more calories that go in than out when you're gaining weight. It doesn't tell you why. So the hormonal energy the conflict to me is sort of over-dramatized, bully pulpit kind of things, and, and the practical realities both matter. And there comes a time when I restrict carbs, that just saying low carbs isn't enough. And I focus on the calorie side, uh, the habit eating, the, the going out for restaurant food that you're given twice as much and you're eating past your feeling of fullness. Mm-hmm. I mean, so academically, I think it's important to kind of get a, 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 a sense that there are studies that can be done hypothesis-wise around both of these ideas. And that was, I think, David, Dr. Ludwig's idea is that it's not that one is right or wrong, but these are worth testing and and hypotheses can be or studies can be created testing these different hypotheses to be a new round of, of research funding and not just dismisses about the idea that well, more people went in the restaurant than came out. Duh. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And I did, I did see, I noted that an area of agreeance, if you like, was the fact that there's a lot of ultra-processed food out there that is uh, largely responsible for both increasing the calories that people eat, uh, yeah. but also driving up the amount of carbohydrate that people eat as well. So, yeah, I understand.
1: Well, you know, in the U.S., the the uh, problem is a matter of too many calories and too many carbs, and they're actually you can do low calorie diets and they can work, but most people get hungry and then bail out because if you're fighting hunger all day long, it, food is everywhere, so you're going to break down and have you're going to break that calorie limit. The beauty of a low carb diet and and the one of the hormonal things that change the insulin goes down so much that the hunger goes away and it, the you know the difference of a dietary approach low carb versus low fat is for most people low carb leaves you with less hunger or no hunger at all and the low carb calorie restriction approach generally leaves people hungry uh, and although there there are Uh, individual variations on that. Um, It's almost as strong as me putting someone on a pill to cut the hunger out. The the effect of a low carb diet is as strong for hunger and appetite reduction as medication is. And, And yet you don't need the medicine.
0: Yeah, which is amazing. And Eric, I know that you've got on your website, you know, a range of resources, and one of them was around, you know, where people go wrong with the ketogenic diet. And you mentioned that a lot of people go to a keto diet and think they that they can eat all of the dietary fat that they like. Right. Now, so what is sort of your response to that approach to a keto diet? If someone's in it for, say, weight loss or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, again, that's where the blending of the energy balance and the hormonal response uh, calorie or carbohydrate-insulin model really blend together because the approach that I learned had a limit on cheese, cream, mayonnaise, butter, uh, because what I learned came out of a clinical practice. Uh, And now if someone just goes to the Internet and learns about keto – You might learn that if it has no carbs in it, you can have as much as you want. But practically speaking, you're going to burn the fat and the cheese and the mayonnaise that you eat before your body's going to burn up its own body fat and let let go its body store. So if you're trying to reverse diabetes or, or lose fat off your body, it makes no sense to add in unlimited amounts of fats. And so we have a strict limit on that. And I mean, the other... Kind of major things that came out that that we never studied uh, was the idea of putting uh, medium chain triglyceride in the coffee with butter and and blending it up, you know, and and no question it, it can give you ketones and in fact might give you a little buzz and and you feel more focused and all that, but it's got a lot of calories and so I started asking. Well, you know how many bulletproof coffees or this type, kind of concoction have you had? And some people would have three or four or five a day. And this is just—you're not going to burn your body fat if you're drinking yeah. 1,500 calories of fats. Uh, and so there's a um, the carb restriction for just about everyone limits the caloric intake automatically, but not everyone. Yeah. And, and so for those who it's not automatically reducing your calorie and. Uh, energy intake you know the amount of food you eat then you may need some advanced coaching to help you realize you don't have to eat three meals a day that's a common uh meme or you know common wives tale here that you have to eat you know, it'd be like going to fill up your car three times a day when you're just driving around town you know because you already have a gas tank that's full you know uh, your fat gas tank is super full you want to drop on it you don't eat, need to eat so much um but um the other kinds of things people make mistakes on the the largest one i think is the um the excessive cheese and uh the high calorie items but then there's the Kind of internet over complication of what to do. Some people come in thinking they have to be checking their ketone level or they have to be using an app and calculate their macros and it has to be corrected every meal. And, and some of these macros can be very directive about how, what you should do, you know? And so we teach a method that's very uncomplicated. You don't have to use apps. And, and um, in fact, our method goes back to the 1860s when, you know, they didn't have computers. Uh, it's really the banting diet was the of the approach that we teach
0: yeah so it's more food on a plate and what that plate should look like yeah 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 um eric what about alcohol for people who are doing uh keto or low carb what's what's the general recommendation around that
1: well if you're trying to maximize weight loss alcohol has calories and so you'd want to restrict your drinking of calories. But most people can uh, drink one drink a day, meaning a light beer, uh, three or four inches of dry wine, one or two alcoholic shots with a sugar-free mixer, one of those a day and do fine because your your body has to burn through the alcohol, the calories of the alcohol, then the calories of the carbs before it's going to give up the calories of the fat store off its body so there's a lot of individual variability but it's it's not forbidden to have alcohol you'd have to have some moderation or or none during the week and just drink on the weekends or something so there's a lot of ways to be able to address alcohol
0: yeah and i mean i think as you rightly pointed out um earlier a lot of it is habit with what we do around food and re-establishing better boundaries i suppose or habits around things which might might tip the balance if we had no sort of restrictions on them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Eric, do you see any differences between men and women in your clinic?
1: Well, this is a a great, uh, another thing that's not been studied, but the clinical signal is very strong that women lose slower than men. So men in terms of how much weight uh, and, um, when, even when you adjust for how large people are. And then, of course, postmenopausal women have a... Uh, we all tend to develop insulin resistance as we get older, and then post-menopause the menopause brings in another factor so that women have to be super strict about carbs, generally speaking, around the menopause as well. But, um, yeah, it, 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 when husband and wife do the program together, there's usually this initial sort of, uh, why, why is it so hard for me and not for him? And, and, um, but over time kind of like the tortoise and the hare the fable, the, you stick with it, you know, your husband might fall off and you're actually going to be winning in the end. But I mean, at the end of the day, we try to make people be happy together about their yeah. results. But I, I think the, uh, nobody really knows why, but it, probably going to be related to the hormonal effects of menstruation
0: yeah yeah you know? for sure and i guess i suppose the message that i got from that was that patience is a virtue and just stick at it is that sort of the the major strategy that that helps well, today, overcome?
1: you know today immediate gratification isn't fast enough no. for most of my my patients and, <laughs> no. uh, yeah. and to put it into the context so that um You might read online or that some great results, but when I have people being successful on average, it's one to two pounds of weight loss per week. So that's four to eight pounds per month. And so if you're in that range, it might seem slow and compared to the person who lost 50 pounds in the month online. Those are the outliers, right? It's the, um, the high school, the school, Uh, uh, reunion effect the people are doing great come back to the reunions and people post online it's like the highlight reel when in the clinical setting one to two pounds per week no pills no products and you're eating tasty food that's sustainable um that's really really good yeah
0: and eric your your own approach to nutrition um low carb keto
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so when we did our first studies going back to 1998, I needed to, or I felt like I had to do, you know, walk the talk. I wanted to learn how to be a, a teacher of the low carb diet. So I learned about it myself, started it. I wanted to know where you would go in the local grocery stores, what to purchase, because there's an art to that, that you want to, some people ask you what what to find or what, at this grocery store what is available and I, and I don't fall into that I teach based on the total grams of carbs and I teach looking at the labels very heavily but uh, I I stick to zero or very low carb foods for the most part don't do any counting personally I, I rarely have breakfast maybe a brunch on a weekend uh, but then I've been doing it 20 years You know, it took me 10 years to give up sugar jelly beans on easter well and i grew up with halloween where we had mounds of candy every year and we eat for months (laughs) you know i have no no i have so many cavities yeah i don't the inside of my teeth are gone you know i if you got the cavities i have these little stubs going around (laughs) that's not normal you know but uh, and then the other vestiges of growing up in the U.S. in the 60s is, you know, I have hearing loss because of all the ear infections because my parents smoked, ah, you know, crazy, yes. it created nasal congestion and all this. And, and so um, yeah, I'm carrying a lot of the old sugar damage, uh, 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 but I haven't had carbs really to speak of for well, over 20 years.
0: Yeah. And and, so is- now and yeah, yeah, I, I understand, and of course, as you said, it's so much easier now to follow in a, a sort of a low carb slash keto approach. Interestingly, I was just in the UK, and uh, and uh, different to the US and in New Zealand, where keto is a thing, I, I saw it once one product was keto in about 15 different supermarkets, which I ventured into. So it feels like there is a real opportunity there for, I don't know, like something to happen. I know it's a thing over there as well, but it just seems so much more available um, and and out there in the US and in New Zealand, actually.
1: Well, if someone's coming to me to do – the prescription strength, and or they've tried over the counter keto, meaning internet keto. I'll be pretty blunt, and I'll say if it says keto on it, don't have it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: the marketing of products is not well um, uh, governed. There's no regulatory uh, approach and um, uh, or, or standards. And uh, while keto generally means it's lower in carbs. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to be ketogenic. And it's important to remember that keto really means you're burning body fat. There is really no, quote, keto food. It's either a protein or a fat or a carb. And when um, someone's adding oils to something or medium chain triglyceride, that doesn't mean you're going to be in ketosis without regard to what else you do during the day, so we're in that kind of awkward moment where some of the products are not helping my patients, but but there are enough people that that uh, maybe that don't need to be so strict that it's going to be helpful for because it doesn't fear the fat, it it limits the sugars, yeah, which is a great direction to go in, I think.
0: Yeah, awesome. And do you think just finally, like if you think about what Dr. Atkins would how he might view sort of the state of the research now, but also the potential popularity of low carb. How do you think he might view that? Do you think he would be pleased with how things are going? Do you think he would disparate all of the keto products? Like, I don't know, just interested to hear from someone who knew him?
1: Well, you know, that would be a great question for Jackie Aberstein, who is still around. She's the nurse who works with Dr. Atkins for 30 years. And I didn't get to know Dr. Atkins very well. Um, And by the time I was ready to kind of go back to say, hey, teach me what you know, he had fallen on the ice in New York City, bumped his head and he passed away in an untimely death, I think in his early seventies. And, and so, um, I do remember Jackie saying a, a story that Dr. Atkins said um, to Jackie. You know, I'm not going to see this through to, to become widespread, but you will. He said. He said you'll you'll see this grow, and um, and it is growing. I, I, I'd have to think. You know, it is. I got to know him enough, and and got to see enough of his patients that he was a doctor charismatic doctor who cared about his patients and and his patients loved him and and so i think he would like the idea that more and more people were benefiting from it absolutely yeah
0: yeah, yeah. no that's um i can i can only imagine and i think that for as much as i guess the uh the critiques that around the ketogenic diet although low carb just as a as a sort of an approach, there is more and more is still continuing to grow interest in a range of areas. And I think that the papers you're publishing on with regards to the GERD, with the type one diabetes, type two diabetes, obviously, and obesity, um, in addition to all of the other sort of uh, clinics and and uh, uh, clinicians and, and researchers, I think that this is really promising. That's what I'll say, it's promising. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: So the advent of the internet has been essential and uh, to allow people to see the results that other people are getting. And having done some re- reading on paradigms and paradigm shifts, the paradigm will flip when the new way of doing things can do things the old way can't. So we can reverse diabetes. Yes. We can reverse heart failure. We can do all these things that the old paradigm can't do and and, you know the low-fat diet came out about the time everyone was using phones with cords on them yeah the fact that to to think that technology for phones has advanced so much and yet you can't advance the technology of diet yeah that's just kind of silly yeah 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 we can accomplish so much more with a low-carb keto approach than those other folks can it's now just getting the message out, spreading the word, uh, and things will change.
0: Yeah, and you do an amazing job of that, Eric, with your website where you have free resources, you have online courses, you've got your um End the Carb Confusion, your book, The Cookbook. You and your team, including Amy, do an amazing job of putting that information out there. Uh, where can people find you if they've yet to discover any of this?
1: Yeah, so ericwestmanmd.com. That's E-R-I-C, Eric Westman. MD.com has a link to all of the latest things that I'm doing, awesome. which could be as simple as a sheet of paper with the list of foods or, or a course or a book. So it really depends how you like to learn. And so we're trying to we have many different resources available depending on your learning style. And you don't have to make the trip to Durham, North Carolina, Duke university, like, uh, uh, you know, that's, we want to affect as many people as possible uh, with this kind of teaching material
0: yeah that is awesome thank you eric and there is a number of excellent talks that you've given over the years at metabolic health summit and other conferences as well which uh, you can truly learn a lot from Uh, so thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it my pleasure what a wealth of information loved that conversation and was super privileged to hear Eric talk at the Metabolic Health Summit and meet him in person next week I sit down and chat to Jeff Peltier, who is a ultra runner a video producer and has a very prolific YouTube channel all about his running adventures and we sit and chat about the creation of these and how he's integrated his love of running with his professional career and if you don't follow Jeff he is so inspirational and puts together some really brilliant content so we chat next week until then though peeps you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin or head on over to mickeywillardin.com, sign up to one of my online nutrition coaching programs, recipe portal access, or book a one-on-one consult with me. Thanks so much for being here and catch you next week. See you later.